Welcome, everyone, to another edition of Why It Matters. I'm Tracy Kronzak. And I'm Tim Lockie. Thanks for joining us. We're really excited for the guest that we have today. Um, and we are going to jump right in. Hi, Tracy. How are you doing? I'm great. How's your, how's your week been? Good. Week has been good. Awesome. Yeah. Like, I'm also super excited. We have a lot of stories to cover. So, like, we're going to forego our usual protracted intro where we poke fun at each other and, and get right into it. Yeah. Great. Uh, so this week we are joined by one of our really great friends. I would say this is our stalwart guest. Would you Would you agree with that? Stalwart is such a great word. For, I know for exactly. Our guest today, it, exactly. it really yeah. is like stalwart in that like rhinoceros kind of context. You know? What? Yeah. I have did no you idea know that, what that means? Okay. Did you know the rhino was an early symbol of the LGBT movement because they are docile. However extraordinarily vicious when provoked. And it seemed to make a good symbol for the early LGBT organizers in the 70s and 80s, particularly coming out of New York City. And I think that version of stalwart is what 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 uh, defines part of our guest. Uh, All right, sounds great. Uh, yeah, I was thinking more penguin, but uh, you know, <laughs> no, I think- I've never thought of penguins once. I don't know where you're getting that from. I, me either. It just came to me. It just came yeah, to me. Yeah, no, I don't uh, know So why. without further ado, we are very, very excited to have Ryan Ozimek from Soapbox Engage, PeakNet, Joomla, like a like history upon history upon history. Uh, join us. Ryan, thanks so much and welcome to the show. I'm stoked to be here. Thank you, guys. We, um, we want to start with your history. Can you, can you give us... Uh, just some of the high points, because we do not have the amount of time it would take to really dive into your history. But some of the high points of your history with nonprofits and technology. Oh, shoot. I was going to start with July 4th, 1977 and just take it fine. from there. But <laughs> Wait, are you, born on the, are you born on the 4th of July? I, I, I can't be more all-American than being born wow. on the 201st first anniversary. Yes. I saw that movie with Tom Cruise. It was very traumatic. <laughs> That's been my life. No, oh. luckily <laughs> my life. Uh, yeah, no, thank you guys for, for having me. And um, yeah, it's been a wild ride. I mean, you know, I, I tell folks, uh, so our company PicNet has been around for um, almost 21 years now. And people are like, wow, what are you talking about? Like that doesn't make any sense. Uh, and sometimes I think the same thing. Um, but yeah, the brief, the brief history is uh, I did uh, graduate school in public policy at UCLA. And while I was there, I was like, man, I'm paying my way through college and grad school by doing database consulting, which is like FileMaker Pro old school stuff. And I was like, oh man, this is great. I get to use Apple computers. I get to like make some money on the side and then try to go to classroom, actually paying attention. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be great if I could take like all this policy background and my passion for um, technology and being somebody who's born and raised in Silicon Valley and like do something with kind of the, the mashup of, of all that together. And back in grad school, me and one of my, my friends uh, started PicNet to be able to say, wouldn't it be fantastic to start a business that helped 
nonprofit organizations get the technology they need in an affordable fashion to like go make the world a better place. So this is before like there was a Twitter, there was a Facebook, there was barely blogging, like the web browser had come this out. This is five two, years like prior. we're talking 2000, like, like yeah. right after the Y2K yeah. crisis, right? Right. Like that's what, I think oh all God. we had was live journal back in that right. day. <laughs> Exactly. You had your GeoCities, which obviously you had your yep. website on like a home page somewhere that Yahoo gave you back in the day. We I had uh, Earthlink, and Earthlink? Uh, oh my! We God. also had Topica, which yes, you know, Topica was great. Uh, and and without going too far into it, like this probably sort of our discussion today about community. Uh, one of the things I did in high school in the Bay Area was actually take our high school newspaper and put it onto a bulletin board service in Silicon Valley called the Virtual Valley, which is before the web. This is prior to the web. This is prior to America Online. This is people who knew how to use a modem, could connect to something. And you go to the Virtual Valley. And I posted news postings from our high school newspaper, thinking that anybody cared. And I cared. I thought it was the coolest thing that's ever happened. <laughs> you know, the modem. <laughs> Like, yes, <laughs> that's, that's what I was doing. I was, I needed to make sure all of the Los Gatos high school students knew what was going on in the bullet board service world. I don't think anybody- That was like, anything. what, two years after the movie War Games came out? <laughs> like, I mean, like, that is, that is amazing. I, I think like, I, I want to just make an early observation, Ryan, that you have been ahead of the curve <laughs> since, you know, since, uh, since being in high school and uh with with your newspaper that's just incredible so it, it's yeah. it's been a it's been a fun ride to be able to like to take that apply the technology apply some policy um i i spent a little time uh in the the clinton white house in the press office so yep. I, I got to see what was happening over there and i said well why don't i go out to dc and figure out how to build a business to make this stuff happen so i wanted to be in the epicenter of where nonprofits were and bring technology from silicon valley in california um, and I'm sitting in an office here with a bunch of penguins uh, in Washington, D.C., still across the street from the, the White House. So not a lot has changed in terms of geographic uh, locations, but um, it's been a crazy ride since then. So it's, it's cool to be here. I think that is the context in which I first met you back at the N10 conference, and I think it was 2008. Uh, I can't remember where it was. We were hypothesizing that was New Orleans, but uh, you've always been a person that technology delights in my observation. Uh. And even if it's like never to be used again, like Joomla, for example, uh, <laughs> who uses Joomla, Ryan? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but like that context, that joy is so rare in humanity. Uh, I just want to say like, thank you for finding us in that world too, because yeah, I think when I first met you, I was like trying to figure out because PicNet was in the hard cabling business for a little bit. And I was trying to figure out how to wire my office and your observations were, don't you dare let them put in cat three you should only put in cat five or cat five e and i was like i don't know man cat five e or cat five three is cheaper and you're like cat five e does nothing or cat five <laughs> three does nothing it barely does by the way you might as well just put in like phone lines for what yep. cat cat three does but um and then you were also like or you could do the whole thing wi-fi and i was like 
Wi-Fi is like so slow and who needs that when I can plug it in, um, you know? And, and that's been like, you know, 14 years of friendship now, like those kind of conversations and the topics just struggles. change. Those technology struggles, you know, yeah. we keep pushing through those. And then that's, what's, that's, that's creating the sparks of innovation, you know, that, that, that's helping us say, for me, like hearing those stories and kind of thinking about where we've been, just reminds me that for, for me, the passion around technology isn't about the gadgetry part of it. It's about applying it to do something with it, to like, to see a system that's broken and to know that there might be a way to do it better without having to try to rebuild the entire system from the ground up. Like well, what happens if we could apply something in a new way that people aren't thinking about yet? Um, and I just, I, I just love getting kids to do that. So yeah, from wiring cables uh, to uh, everything else. Yeah, and you do have a long history of being like of ex of wide exploration around technology. Uh, it's one of the things that I was like when we get to just hang out informally and talk about what's what's new, whether that's crypto, whether that's you know electric cars, like what you you just always what's next you know, how do you use it? I just think that that's really interesting. So. I think we're, we're lucky to have found professions that is in an industry that's constantly changing. A lot of people hate yeah. that. A lot of people want to know, yeah. like, I'm going to go into a profession. It's been there for thousands of years. It's going to be the same. We all going to know you climb up this ladder. Like, I, I'm just, I'm just not as interested or fired up about that. Like, I want things that are, are going to be changing a lot and figuring out how to put those to practical use is what really gets me going. And so I, I, I agree, like as those new things happening, I want to figure out like, what's the way in which we can use this to do some good in the world. And I feel like the, the two of you and other folks like us are kind of looking at it through that lens as well. Not just like, oh, this is gee whiz technology, but like, awesome. Now, how do we apply this to do awesome things? And I feel as though that oftentimes gets, gets lost because so many folks are like gravitating for the, the shiny, the shininess of the new technology and less about like, what's the the, the pragmatic application of it. If you were to title this podcast or interview with a very pragmatic centrist technologist, uh, that wouldn't be far from the truth. That's that's kind of how I feel about things. Yeah. Um, okay. Two two big. Are questions. you saying that One I'm is... a right wing technologist? Sorry. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I was, it took me a we second to parse that. that. <laughs> All right. Yeah, Sorry, Tim. Please. We're yeah, going to no, dig back no. into that. Please go, Tim. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I know I know people are going to want to know three why questions here. The first is going to be why penguins? Right. Am I, am I going to answer these now or is there going to be a yeah, long just, list of these questions? No, no. Okay. No, I'll, I'll just, we'll just like, uh, we'll just. They're good for uh, oil. Slash question. Right. They didn't hear the, they didn't hear you. They didn't hear you. Yeah, that's. Uh, yeah. So the brief reason for that, and man, Tracy and I could probably go off the ages on N10, NTCs and whatnot, but, um, you know, I'm a big open source proponent, which might be one of the other why questions, but as a big open source proponent in the open source software community world, uh, a penguin has oftentimes been the the animal that represents or has been representing that, that kind of uh, element of the software and technology world. Uh, so way back in the day, uh, I know that there were some folks out there like uh, Gunner and Aspiration Tech and some others that would have 
uh, events like Penguin Days. And way back in 2005, 2006, I thought it'd be great to be able to say, well, gosh, like we are big proponents of open source software. It'd be great to be able to have some sort of way to express this in a cute three foot tall inflatable manner. Uh, so the Penguin from the open source community and encouraging people in the nonprofit space to learn more about that and the opportunities around building communities around open source software uh, led to the Penguin just being the obvious choice for, for Pikmin to box page. Gotcha, okay. Next why is why open source then? Oh man, that is, that's deep. That's really deep. Um, I think if we're gonna be talking about technology and how, and what it means and how it can be applied, I feel like I want to be able to democratize technology as much as possible. So that can be put to the best use. And that typically means getting into the hands of as many people as possible. And I also think that the more that folks are able to tinker with, play with, modify, adapt, and continue to create around the technology, the more opportunities we have to just make the world a better place. So for me, open source software has always been an opportunity for us to like really leverage those, those key ideals of saying, what if we were to use this for good? What if we could get as, get us in as many hands as possible to like make as much change as possible? The more open, the more transparent, the more accountable, all of those things are just critical to making that happen. So for me, open source software is a, is a way to, to get into that. So I'm, I'm very passionate about that because I feel like there's a lot of wisdom that we can get from people using technology in ways we've never thought of before. Perfect. Um, that is a perfect segue into the next one, which is why nonprofit? Oh man. That's, that's really good. Um, <clears throat> you know, as a, as a young person, um, I, I, was, I was raised with a, uh, a Catholic father that sent me to the Jewish community center in the summers and a Jewish mother that sent me to a Christian school as a kid. And that mix of communities and getting a sense of like what, what people can do together and band together to just like do awesome things through these different communities and the cross-cultural experiences of that just made me realize that I was really passionate about the, the opportunity for us as just citizens of the world to, to band together. And one of the things I thought was really interesting these days, especially as it's been evolving for me, I'm passionate about what's happening in the nonprofit space because we're choosing as societies to, well, at least in the United States here, I should say, we're choosing to move away from large federal state governments of doing things generally going down that path and instead choosing to have other to have other entities kind of fill the gaps and I feel like if there's ever been a time no I'm not saying I agree or disagree with that viewpoint but if there's ever been a time for the nonprofit non-government sector to really step up it's it's now more than ever like I feel like society is just at a challenge point where if we're having trouble, agreeing as to how we're going to be governed and govern ourselves in a democracy, that it's gonna be the social sector, it's gonna be nonprofit organizations, it's gonna be NGOs that need to lead the way. And I can't imagine a better way to spend our lives than applying things like technology to that sector. So we've got a fighting chance, like <laughs> we've got a fighting chance as a society to be able to do something right when we're just making a lot of I think short-sighted decisions. And I, I feel as though the nonprofit space has a 
huge opportunity to step up, step up and fill gaps where we're just not able to, to do together functionally in, in many democracies. Now that's a huge discussion. I know you didn't mean to go into that, but like, I am so passionate about that. I'm so tethered to that concept of, well, gosh darn, you know, if people in society are choosing not to do this through government, like we need to find ways as nonprofit organizations in the social sector to like make sure society has what it needs to, to be successful beyond just business success. And I feel like there's a lot of, um, there's a lot riding on the shoulders of the nonprofit community and no better place to be able to, to help out. Uh, I wanna come back to, and I know Tracy wants to come back to too, oh, open source a... and business around that. Yeah, I know lots. Um, there's the last lot there. Right question. Yeah. Oh, tons there. The last so my question is why community? Hmm. Yeah. What's what's the saying? Uh, you could go if you go it alone, you'll go fast, but if you go together, you'll go farther. Like I just I I really believe that there's um, there's such there's such uh, it's really weird as a as a young person growing up uh, with divorced parents as a kind of pseudo only child in my early years, like I became very independent and very adultish at like the age of five, like way too like adulty as a young kid. Uh, and I always felt this sense of independence is why I started my own business. It's why I did my own consulting gig when I was in college, like just that independence part of me, kind of a, a capitalist experience of saying, I wanna be an entrepreneur was really important to me. Um, but I realized what was lacking was the that sense of community to go the distance, to go further. And I knew I couldn't do that on my own. I was passionate and I was self-directed and I was really, I could light a fire under my own feet, but you can only take that so far. Like you need a community along with you to make that happen. So it's just been really natural for me to say, well, gosh, if I can get other people fired up, like if I can work with other people that get fired up, like you all, um, then we can do some really great stuff. and. I would much rather do that in the arms of fellow community members than, you know, on my own. So I've I've always been really interested in that. As soon as I realized you can only go so far on your own so long, and <laughs> after that, it's gonna it's gonna take a, a crew of good friends to be able to, to take us the rest of the way. Um, and that's yeah. translated into how many NPSP <laughs> events with how many people? Like just rough guess. Yeah. I think what people don't realize is you've traveled the world motivating people that you've never met that show up on a certain day and spend a day with each other learning around sticky notes. I've seen it happen in Montana. I've seen it happen in India. I've seen it happen on both coasts and in the middle. Like I've seen it over and over this community that you create. And I think people just can't know that unless they've seen it. But yeah. just some of the numbers out there, like how many how many NPSP days? Yeah, we've done on? almost forty. Uh, for folks that don't know, uh, NPSP, the Nonprofit Success Pack, is part of the Salesforce nonprofit community. Um, NPSP days are a community gathering, bringing folks together to be able to learn more about how to use this Salesforce technology for nonprofits in a way that is uh, open to everybody. Uh, we've done at least 40 of those. We've served over 1,500 organizations, I think almost 2,000 individuals. Um, it's been everywhere from Cape Town, South Africa, to India, to Vancouver, British, everywhere in between. So 
it's got a global reach I think is is fantastic. And I think the opportunity to be able to see things like that growing goes back to just some common tenets I have. Like I, I believe knowledge should have no limits. Like we need to get information. We need to be able to help people be educated as they need from financial literacy to technology literacy to everything in between. The world needs all of it from everybody right now. And being able to do that and watch people light up as they, you know, as the light bulb goes off over their head and they can say, oh yeah, I get it now. And you know, the next step is them taking what they've learned to do something to like go better themselves, their family, their neighbors, their communities. Like that's just inspiring. I'm inspired just by those people that show up to want to learn on their own as well too. I don't know. There's just a lot of opportunity there. That just this feels really exciting. Yeah. I have like 5 million questions and follow-ups for you, Ryan. Sorry. I just let my dog into the, she has this routine where she must lay on the chair behind me at all costs. So like <laughs> otherwise, um, one, I, I had no idea you had a master's of public administration and maybe that's just my own insecurity where I have that shit emblazoned all over my LinkedIn profile. So that was new information to me. I'm like, you're getting every freaking dot title and thing that I get on LinkedIn because damn it, I need to be looking legitimate here. Um, two, can we tell the story about the booth bombing? Yes. Okay. So here's, and, and why I want to say this is because it does lead into a question. Uh, and that is, so the very first N10 conference where I actually met you, Ryan, it was also, it was like, okay, if you want to talk about like wiring stuff, go talk to this guy, Ryan. And I did, and I met you. And then there were parties and stuff that happened and so forth. That night I came in at like 1 a.m. and you were piling inflatable penguins on the Microsoft booth. And I actually remembered why that was while you were talking. And it was because at the time there was some sort of like lawsuit around like documents uh, and, and document accessibility from Word, Excel and, and PowerPoint. And there was like this thing that everybody wanted and that was people wanted Microsoft <laughs> Office for Linux. Uh, and that's, right. that's what that was all about was, you know, Microsoft Office for Linux. Uh, and thank God we don't have that, by the way, because <laughs> Linux has a giant user base, um, you know, globally that is deeply impacted by its absence. But nevertheless, um, so, you know, the question I have truly, because I think, Ryan, one thing I deeply admire about you is you have retained idealism where I have not. And that is just true. Um, and therefore, you know, what I see in the power of community, I absolutely agree with you on. I'm like, oh my God, if I had had no place to land 15 years ago, where would I be now? I don't know. But if I didn't have a place to land then, I know I would be in a different place than I am now. So I, I, I am just like really deeply touched to be reminded of that power. And at the same time, I have to ask, you know, where, where's the line between everything is wide open and freely accessible and the line between 
making a pragmatic business out of selling software? Like where, where does that land for you? Yeah, that's a good question. I feel like part of the premise of this is uh, when, when would a private enterprise be more effective than hoping that the masses figure it out on their own? Exactly. And, that is the premise. You're spot on. Yeah. Right. And I feel like what's been interesting to me, and this might be just dumb luck, um, and it might be because I look at all of these crazy opportunities that I've been lucky enough to take advantage of and just say, like, we've just got to make the most of this life. We have to have fun. We've got to smile. We've, we've got to, like, wear, like, penguin hats <laughs> on very official podcasts, right? And I can't help but think, like, one of the things that I remember doing early on when we had, in the early days of our business, we were here in D.C., and it was uh, soon after 9-11. And we had had in DC here uh, a marathon. It was like the DC marathon. Um, and it was canceled four days before the marathon was run. Now, I knew some personal friends of mine then who had spent like weeks, months, like been training their entire lives since a baby, like trying to run a marathon. Here they were getting ready to do it. And it was canceled for reasons that ended up being like uh, the business, I think, behind the marathon had some issues. And so they canceled it. But they said, oh, it's because of like a security threat. There wasn't a security threat. So I said, well, gosh, like maybe there's a way in which me and my co-founder can actually use this technology that we're trying to figure out on our own, like the early 2000s, um, to like get people to still run the marathon. And so like we built a website, which was just weird. And then we like encouraged people to like go to this website and then to tell their friends that the marathon was still going to happen because we as a community, we're going to put on the bloody marathon, even if the people that were paying being paid hundreds of thousands of dollars as event organizers had bailed on the community. Well, guess what happened? Four days later, I think it was like 4,000 people, 3,000 people ran a marathon, the only unofficial DC marathon that's ever been run with the help of the police department, with the help of local community members, with the help of little kids pouring lemonade and water, and they made it happen. And I feel as though what I've learned through all of my community experiences is that where oftentimes there has been a singular power that has failed the people, oftentimes a community, if they're passionate enough about it, if they get fired up about it, if they have something kind of like helping them get pointed in the right direction, uh, are able to overcome those challenges. And I think it's just been one thing like that after another where I see community just stepping up to the table and doing the things that everybody else thought just couldn't be done or wasn't going to happen. Um, so I, I feel as though those failures by larger institutions or by singular institutions present opportunities for communities to grow. And that is, you'll see that throughout my last 20 years of professional history. But I think from a business perspective, what's funny is that we're big proponents of open source software, but we ourselves at PicNet don't necessarily contribute a whole bunch of open source software back to the community. We contribute to the open source community through running events, stirring up community discussions, getting people involved to make software better. Um, so for me, it's less about should businesses always be defined by like the license type of the software that they contribute, that, that kind of makes less sense to me in 2021 and beyond as we're moving to this cloud thing. Um, and more about it is kind of the underpinnings of this to what are we doing? What's the best way to assemble people to get a job done? So Tracy, that's like a poor punt to your question, but it feels as though like it depends on what we're trying to achieve together. Well, I mean, I'm hearing two things in what you're saying. Uh, and I'm going to revisit one of my favorite quotes of all times. This movie quote stuck with me in 
you know, 1997, and to me, it's just as relevant now. And that is Tommy Lee Jones, Men in Black, talking to Will Smith. And the quote is, a person is smart, right? But people are dumb, panicky, dangerous animals, and you know it, right? So, you know, that is my reference for community. I, I don't always see people personally on moss as a good thing. Um, and, and, and from my worldview, it's because I've experienced deleterious outcomes when people have gathered on moss, usually to make their point known about people like me, right? Now, that said, you know, what I actually am hearing you articulate, and, and by the way, half the time when we kibitz about this stuff, I'm just playing devil's advocate to get your ire up, and I think you know that. You always do a good job of that, too. <laughs> I know, I do, because you're like, get your foot stop it! Um, but what I'm actually hearing you say is open source, the term that I think a lot of us are used to thinking about as a development repository on GitHub, for example, that abides by certain preordained agreements regarding its availability. Open source is an expansive term that is actually a request for transparency, authenticity, community, and participatory engagement in the tools that are being purported to serve the people in the first place. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that I, I used to say, so I was um, I was the president of an organization called Open Source Matters. Mm -hmm. I'm not kidding you, but that was the name. It still exists. It's actually doing pretty good, good work for uh, some open source communities. Um, but one of the things I used to say is that it was uh, transparency, um, accountability and empowerment. And the empowerment piece I feel is really, really important to me. Um, when you get to work in open source software communities, you begin to see that like boundaries, like geographical boundaries just don't matter anymore. And the number of people that could be in India or Australia or wherever around the world that want to contribute to be part of it, it's important. So internationalization becomes important, being able to take contributions from people around the world at different time zones become important. And if you're going to think, if you're going to think about that way, then the opportunity for us to really focus on empowerment uh, is really critical. So I think that it's tougher to empower folks to, to be passionate, to feel that they've got some um, autonomy in what they're doing, to feel like they're going to master something. Um, if you say, but actually, we're going to hold all the stuff here. You get to see the stuff that we give you, but like it's up to us to hold the rest of it. And you, you just need to, to trust us. So I feel as though in the open source software communities I've been a part of, the more open, the more transparent, the more they're leaning into how do we empower these folks to do great things, the more likely they are to be really successful. And I've just been amazed to see what people have done in the Salesforce world as tracing you and I way back in the Google Groups yep. days and even earlier than that. And Tim, we've seen for the last 15 plus years or so, um, every time I've seen the ability of the community to, to level up, to be empowered, to be able to do things is the times where I see light bulbs go off, where I see real creative juice, where I see new things happen that are gonna make the world a, a better place. So that's, that's where I really lean into the empowerment side of it. How do you govern Good. that? I, and that's actually my legit question. And yeah. I say this half tongue in cheek, and that is, 
I gave up on Mozilla Firefox about five <laughs> years ago because when I launched it, the lights would dim, right? It was like ENIAC, right? And, you know, so there obviously has to be limits on this governance. And it is my worry and it is my sincere worry that when everybody has something to say and everybody is equally valid, nothing gets done, which to me is the role of, you know, private ownership of things, because it's like, look, well, everybody can't say everything. So if somebody had to do something and we did this. So how do you balance that governance is, yeah. is my question. One of the things I've always leaned into is being part of an open source community is a community that's focused on gift giving. And a lot of people don't get that and they think mm, it's just hogwash or they think it's That's very profound, like, Ryan. I like that. I, that's really important to me. And um, if you're in the act of giving a gift, hopefully in most cases, you're doing it uh, for the benefit of somebody else. Uh, you're doing it hopefully without expecting something in return. So for me, people that are contributors, true contributors back to a community, like I think they're the ones that get to have a say. And I'm very, I'm very interested in some of the latest like blockchain communities and, and cryptocurrency communities that say those who contribute, those who give, those who are involved either financially or from a code perspective or the writing smart contracts or whatever that might be, like they're the ones that we're going to give the ability to be able to determine the fate of where this community is, is heading. And governance is based on contribution. Now, that isn't always the, the most democratic way of handling it. And there's other ways to, to deal with that. What I think is interesting in the technology side is that it is not impossible, but sometimes can be difficult for people to say, well, that's great, but I'm going to fork this community to try to do something similar but different because what's happening over here just doesn't make sense anymore. So that threat of making it easy for a community to then be forked and then something running parallel um, means that the folks building the strong communities, like they need to be on their best behavior. They, they should be doing what's best for the community. Um, so bringing that all together from a governance perspective makes me feel like we've got to go back to those tenants. Like how are we being, making sure everything we're doing is transparent? How do we make sure that the people that are in charge are accountable for what they're doing through that transparency? And then how do we make sure everybody's got an opportunity to contribute and be empowered. I think we've got more of an opportunity to do that in the blockchain world than we've ever had before. And I wish we had these tools a decade, five years ago. Um, and I think there's some, some good innovations that can come uh, from it as well, too. It's interesting that both of you, I don't remember exactly what you asked, Tracy, but it was something like, okay, what about like private business versus government or whatever? And both of you had like when I hear private business, I think profit maximization. So I know that's because I'm an, I'm an economist, but your perspective, both of you is like, Ryan, I think your answer to it was like, oh, well, it's whichever one is best to meet that need. Like that is, that's the weirdest way of thinking about that. Like, let's, let's look at the best way to meet this need. And then, you know, and then do that. I, it's just such a different way of engaging. And it runs parallel to what you're talking about here, Ryan, which um, if your perspective on the world is that people will come and offer something to, and everybody, including them, gets something back in return from that, that's not altruism. And I wanna be really clear here. I think in the nonprofit world and in the open source world, there's an assumption of, you know, I'm only doing that out of goodness of my heart. And I, I, I just don't buy, like, I'm very suspicious of altruism. I'm not suspicious of 
it's good for more than just me. And so a cooperative uh, cooperativism instead of a competition model actually makes a lot of sense. And, and so Ryan, I mean, one of the one of the mysteries you are to me is how are you open source and a business leader? Because I'm used to open source being like developers who have this idealism yeah. about the world. And then, you know, and then I'm like, good luck with payroll, you know, and <laughs> you like, it isn't good luck with payroll. You've had some people on payroll for over like 15 or yep. 20 years. Like you're succeeding at things that other business owners are failing at and you're doing it with this perspective. And I just think it's important to hold both of those together um, because we don't have that many models of it. Um, so I, yeah, thank you for I, modeling that. No, I appreciate that. And um, sometimes I feel like I'm just, uh, I'm following a very pragmatic approach that tries to keep into account my ideal. So Tracy, it's always, it's always nice to hear somebody like you reflect to say like, you're the type of person, Ryan, that has like kept true to some of these ideals. And then I have conversations with Tim about like, it's just about making payroll. It's just about making dollars. And it's not that Tim is just worried about that, but like has the, Economist can Tim does. Back. Please help me. Working for Tim <laughs> is horrible. Help, help, help. I said not to say that. <laughs> I, I, I guess I felt that like it's it's somewhere, it's trying to make that, it's trying to, to walk that fine balance in the middle. Like how do you keep a business a going concern, but at the same time recognizing like what, what, are we, what are we doing? Like why are we doing this. I don't even mean this from a philosophical perspective. I just mean like there's other things we could be doing. Like what are we doing here? What makes what we're doing together special at places like PicNet and Now it Matters and, and other places. Um, and I, I think it's it's challenging for, for me as a small business, we need to be able to like keep the revenue coming in. We need to make sure that we're providing great solutions for our community, but we're not necessarily going the same capital routes that you would see some of our peers yeah. or competitors doing. You know, like we were one of the very early B corporations, benefit corporations, like way back in 2010, 12. I don't remember how long it's been oh now. Gosh. Wow. Um, we've got a hundred year business plan. Uh, we've never taken any venture capital money. We've never taken any like rounds of funding. That's just never been part of our business plan or our model. Um, and that has meant like we get to turn all of our attention to the people that we get to serve. And that that community around those people that we serve like is the only thing that really matters to us and like the bigger picture of what we're tethered to for for big ideas for for the world as well too so it always seems to somehow come back for me to what's the community that matters most and the more that i can be accountable to a lot of people rather than just like one or two folks um makes me feel more comfortable with the direction our business is heading where i'm heading just for myself um and i and i really I really like trying to walk that fine line, but you're right, Tim. I mean, it's it's a it's a balancing act, and I think we're we're trying to do our best to, to make that work. Well, I think something I also heard, Ryan, in what you were saying, and and honestly, your what you said about open source being a community of gift giving, you've told me that before. Matter of fact, you've told me that ten years ago or more. <laughs> but you know, the problem is, I think that the ordinary pressures of the world get in the way, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you talk about narrow time horizons, you know, nothing is narrower than next quarter's ACV goal, right? right? And, you know, you're not the only business owner I know who's thinking about a hundred year plan for a business, right? Which is a very different way of thinking about the decision-making framework 
in which you operate. And I think one of the things that really stands out to me in everything that you said is, you know, connected to Tim's observation, and that is, this isn't altruism. This is creating a different economy. And it is creating an economy where good acting has been incentivized, right? Um, Now, my crypto portfolio that you've, you know, advised me on is currently crashing in negative. So we're just going to ignore (laughs) that for the moment. But it's an even shorter timeline, by the way, than the corner timeline. We're talking like four and a half days. No, no, we're talking three and a half minutes. But, you know, know, nevertheless, like, I think, you know, there's the follow up question I have for you, Ryan, is how does that change from the lens of small business to large business? Mm. Right. And and why I'm asking that is because, as you know, I've stared deeply inside of the guts of large software platform business. And I can tell you that the calculations do change, but I'd love to hear in your words how these things hold up against each other. Yeah. You know, I think one of the things I would say, uh, this might be timely where we are in politics in America these days, but I... I'm I'm open source infrastructure guy. Like I I, I want to make sure that the the train tracks we're all riding on, that the bridges we're driving across, that the internet we're using, that the technology that we're running everything on top of, that that has as much transparency and has much as much accountability as possible. So for there, the open sourciness of it matters more than most other places. And as we become more singular, more focused to the individual, I think the open sourceness of everybody's private lives makes less sense to me. So I feel like there's definitely a range there. And I think what we're seeing now in very large corporations that are running technology stacks is that probably open source matters more than ever before. Um, And being able to have that transparency and accountability is is really critical. Um, And I think that a lot of these larger businesses make hefty profits in a good way uh, by providing technology stacks and infrastructure that lower the costs for innovators that are smaller businesses to be able to get up and running with things. Like it's not just Tracy and Ryan building two GeoCity web pages that nobody will ever go to. Like entire businesses are being made in months because these technology stacks are powerful enough to be able to do it. And there's been economies of scale for large corporations to make that happen. So I feel like there's, again, this sort of balancing act there. And for me, the open sourciness of it matters mostly from the infrastructure, from standards. I want us to be able to agree on the width of the train tracks. I want us to be able to agree on the opportunity for people to have access to high-speed internet. Um, those things really matter to me, making sure that there's accountability around that makes makes sense to me. But from a very small business perspective and moving up the chain from there, I, I think the equation is, is probably different. You're right. All right. I have one follow-up, but I want to turn it over to Tim because I know he's dying. But the the really (laughs) quick follow-up is, is, does open source matter or does transparency and accountability matter? uh, Such, I mean, man, that's that's a whole episode (laughs) that we're going to come back to. Uh, Everybody stay tuned. Um, I I think that for me to be candid, I think the transparency, the empowering, um, the empowerment of technology uh, and the accountability of it are the things that matter most to me, especially as we're moving into a world where these walled gardens of like iOS and Android and other places out there that are just all consuming now that 
it can't just be about the open source software. And that can't be, it has to be like, we need to hold companies accountable for where we're holding our important private data. So that, that matters more to me. I almost, um, I, I feel like I'm hearing you talk about open source in a way that makes me think you actually just think about this as public good. Yeah. Right. And I think that's a very, like, I, I think I can't get in my mind, I can't see past the licensing of it. And when I talk with you about this, what I realize is you have a, you have a world in your mind that exists and is real that the rest of us just don't understand what we're seeing. So when you talk about public, when you talk about open source, you're talking about public good of humanity that even goes pat like this is global public good, not even infrastructure for just the nation or you know hemisphere. You're talking like globally, we now have access to technology that is public good for all of humanity. And that in order for that to be okay, there does need to be transparency. And I mean, it's just, it's just such There's... a different vision, I think, than the rest. Like you must be frustrated Yes. So few people understand <laughs> yes. what you're even saying, right? There's there's that, and I'm so I'm, you know, uh, I I'm a hyper privileged person that happened to have won the birth lottery, if you want to call it that, from where I was born and the great parents I've had and everything else about who I just happened to be lucky to to be. Um, and I feel that that's that's kind of rotten. I feel like not not rotten for me specifically, but like there's so much that we could be doing across the world because humans are humans and we need to do everything we can to, to lift each other up and technology just knows no boundaries. Like from my perspective, I don't want it to know. I want this to be in the hands of as many people as possible so we can really lift uh, as many boats as we can. And I think that the thing that I struggle with is that balance of what you're just saying, which is uh, how, do you, how do we keep incentivizing all this great new technology? How do we keep businesses running with a profit motive without necessarily saying like, what about something other than capitalism, Ryan? And that's probably podcast number 28. Um, but I, I feel like there's, there's just- Deep thoughts be... with Ryan Osnick. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just, I feel like, I feel like we started with an alphabet that had like five letters and like, oh my gosh, that, that's amazing. And like over time through open sourceness, We've been able to add more letters to this alphabet and do more things and write more words and make better books and like empower and inspire people to do great things. Um, and I don't, I don't want those new letters of the alphabet to be like private corporate licensed letters that <laughs> people need to pay to have access to. I, I need to make sure that as many people have access to that uh, as possible. So that's, that's one of the things that keeps running through my mind. I don't necessarily have all the answers to it, of course. So um, I get frustrated on your behalf because I've seen some of your best work get stolen and branded. So, um, you know, and, and some of that is, um, you know, some of that is what you and I experienced when we went to India to try and do an NPSP day. And the Trailhead team was like, nope, you can't do a, an NPSP day here. That, ha you know, it, it has to be labeled something else. And so like, we did and whatever. And, you know, and Akash, who is just like the Ryan Osmek of India um, <laughs> and, and, and amazing, you know, like made it happen. And it was an incredible event and all of that. But I, I remember backing up from that and just being like, wait a minute, like 
this is this is really kind of backwards that something you created that you've traveled all over the it does not add to your bottom line like i've been there and we're yeah. covering burritos i just have like, penguins this is this is what i'm working right, exactly. with exactly <laughs> no, they're good for like, oil about, can, <laughs> oh my gosh talk about you know giving gifts to the community yeah you know like it is not you are not like out there championing soapbox in NPSB days. Like I, I was there, I know, I went to multiple of them. And and so, you know, how that how does that how does that fit? How does like how how are you not mad about that? I'm mad about yeah. it for you. And does yeah. that factor in? Like are you worried about uh, about that? Like you're transparent so people see it and then they grab it and then license it like or it gets rebranded. Like how how do you how do you handle that? What, it, you know? I don't handle it well. Uh, I handle it by going to the gym and riding on a stationary bike for hours at a time. Uh, I yell at myself into the void. You know, I think, um, yeah, I, it is challenging. I think it's challenging because I think it's not often that people understand, especially from a corporate perspective, that I really believe that the, the power is in the community. And oftentimes it gets forgotten or it's, it's it's used as like a marketing tagline, like it's all about yeah. our community. And if it's all about the community, then like we need to continue to find ways to let the community help itself in one way and then contribute to that community so it can do great things. I just, I've seen so many great communities that have been um, supported, funded, helped by large corporate interests that might have their own interests, their own needs around that, um, but are able to continue to, to thrive and, and grow uh, on their own. And I feel often that as soon as you move away from that and into kind of a, a more corporate run community, you lose a lot of the, the grassroots efforts, the spirit that was behind kind of those original values and what people wanted to see because they, you know, we often say in the open source community, it's like, it's people scratching the itch, right? Like they have this itch, they wanna get this problem solved. And PSPAs have always just been that. Like it doesn't come with me Tim, Tracy, or others saying like, here's a eight hours with the presentations about things you must know because Tim and Tracy know it really well. It is great, let's come together and let's figure out how to solve the problems you're facing. Like what are the questions that you have? And I think as soon as it becomes more of a, a corporate approach, there's less um, incentive for it to be that. There's a lot more incentive to be able to say, let me lead you down a path so the next thing you can do to level up to purchase this next license is to do this other thing that I think is the thing that gets me most frustrated. And there's bureaucracy that's frustrating me, of course, because I'm a pretty anti-bureaucratic person. Um, but I think the thing that's most frustrating to me is I just want people to come together in a, in a way that says, this is what matters to me. This is why my organization is struggling. This is what we need to do to like help poor young LGBT community folks in Livermore like make their lives better. Like that's what really matters. Like let's let's focus on solving those problems together, not I happen to have all the answers. Let me teach you the way. And that's just been the thing I've, I've been most challenged as I, as I see things evolve over time. Well, there's this question of ownership and predictability, right? And it's funny you say, you know, when communities come together on their own, like that Google group that we all used for Salesforce Landia, even if every fifth email was, please read the archive before spamming <laughs> us with your questions, which was true. Right. We were, when, when Salesforce took it over, we were promised a home in perpetuity 
that was ours. And that was an acceptable trade-off at the time for access to the technology. And, you know, what, what is true on both sides of that equation is the questions of ownership and predictability. I think from a corporate lens, I would say the last thing you want is a bunch of unpredictable users running around, punching holes in your system in front of other potential sales deals. But from a community perspective, that's exactly what you want because yeah. it lends authenticity to the utilization of whatever tool that you've got in the first place. And similarly, like you touched on public good stuff. I mean, I won't get on my nonprofit data as a public good high horse. You've heard all about that before. But what I will say is that, you know, we traded ownership and it didn't work out well in the long term in that circumstance. So, you know, the idea that we should own something that is unpredictable and wild and frankly motivational is a very necessary thing because that will never exist at scale in any company that I know. Like no company I know says what we should do is invest in unpredictable things. Um, and yet community is unpredictable and it's exactly what's necessary to drive predictable innovation. And I think that's, that's always the tension, right? Yeah. What if I said this, um, where I think community does its best job is where there's already some existing market failures, corporate failures, something else happening. Like every time I've seen somebody say, well, this company organization is not doing this or like this need isn't being met or like I'm having problems with this. My response is always like, all right, let's get to work. Like what are we doing? The DC marathon. Exactly. Let's, let's do this. Let's, let's build community sprints. Let's make NPSP days. Let's run an unofficial marathon. Let's do it. Like fantastic. Like you're welcome. Let's rock and roll. And I think that that comes from an, uh, part of this is a, a bit of privilege, of course, and part of it needs to be this democratizing of empowering of individuals. And I, I can't solve all those problems, but it makes me really uh, excited to be able to see those opportunities come up. I think Love you should. This. Thank I you. think you should know, Ryan, that maybe it's an unintended, um, unintended consequence, and maybe you already know about it, but. There's also, and I don't mean like you're a saint, but there's a halo effect that is practical that happens where inspiration and influence combine to actually create solutions that are otherwise unobtainable through profit. And I think people have given up on that and you haven't. Yeah. We, we keep dancing around it, but there is a tangible benefit there that is public good that I think you keep driving towards and, um, I really, I really hope that you continue to keep that vision and that that spark of like, hey, this authenticity, this transparency, this empowerment that is possible through this community doesn't need a brand behind it. It doesn't need a funding source behind it. What it needs is a need that it is meeting. And if it's got that, it will succeed. And I just think that is a really rare perspective. Um, so I want to thank you. I know yeah. lots, lots and lots of us in the community are really grateful that you've held that position for so many years. Um, 
and you know we're really grateful for it thanks for all the work that you've done same that a lot thank you thank you ryan oh my goodness i wouldn't have i wouldn't be here now talking with you if it weren't for meeting you you know you're one of the early and deepest influences in my career and you know you're also a purveyor of sunny optimism, particularly when I don't always have it. So I am deeply indebted and deeply grateful. And yeah, we should have you back because there's like a thousand tangents that we didn't even get yeah, to today. Totally. So thank you. Totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you guys for having me. Uh, and all this matters because we can keep making the world a better place together. So stoked that you're bringing on folks to be able to have these sorts of discussions and, and keep it up. I'll be, I'll be listening. I'm Tim Lockie. I'm Tracy Kronzak, and you've been listening to Why It Matters. Why It Matters is a thought leadership project of Now It Matters, a strategic services firm offering advising and guiding to nonprofit and social impact organizations. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, check out our playlists, and visit us at nowitmatters.com to learn more about us.